0: There are moments when it feels that heaven and earth come together. And there's something about when we lift up our voices as one and sing praises to God, is one of those moments when I just feel like I could sit in this moment for a long time. It's a beautiful space. The tradition I came from, um, we were were a bit spirit-led, and so there would be services where we just say, you know what, there's no sermon today. We are just gonna keep singing. That didn't happen today, so I still have to preach, Um, (laughs) but it's just a beautiful space. Um, The kids, uh, if if you're a kid in here, um, you can go to the back, and uh, Aaron will take you to the kids' room. Um, Just a couple announcements, this is, for me, this is the first Sunday of fall. I know last week was officially it, but that was a fake, it was 90 degrees or something like that, so that doesn't really count. But a couple of things that are happening uh, around here at the table, beginning with this kind of fall launch, this is really our fall kickoff today. Um, We are making a few changes in the service, um, and so if you are a very regimented person, you're going to be saying, whoa, whoa, that is not where that is supposed to happen. Um, um, We're also relaunching our next steps track. Um, You've probably heard us mention uh, the next steps track. It's really the way for you to become a fully engaged uh, member at the table. for you to figure out how you grow in community and discover your gifts and go make a change in the world. Um, and uh, so today we are, we've condensed it to three weeks. Today we are launching um, Make the Table Home, which is really just, it's about our vision and values and what we're about as a church. Um, and so if you are new or you've been here for a while and you're trying to decide, do I wanna make this community home? It's a great space to hang out. Um, So it'll be immediately after the service in the conference room. Um, There will be pizza. I will be teaching one last time. Um, uh, After this, uh, Pastor Richard will teach. So uh, just a little plug if you want to come hang out. Um, This is it. Uh, Next is Discover Your Purpose next week. And then um, week three, we're launching a new class called Leading at the Table. One of the things that I think there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding around what it means to be a leader. Um, If I were to ask some of you if you were a leader, you'd say, oh, no, 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 not me. You know, someone else is a leader, not me. But being a leader simply means that you are a person of influence, that you influence someone. And there is every person in this room has influence over another person. Everyone influences. And so the question is whether you are stewarding that influence well, whether you are being honest about the influence you are stewarding, or you are leading but pretending that you're not, and by doing so, it's actually causing more harm than good. And so we just want to talk about what does it mean to be a leader at the table, and how do you lead here? Um, Second, community groups launch this week. Uh, If you are in a community group, you should clap right now. So everyone, come on, if you're in a community group, clap. Clap. I should just stick to my script. Anytime I try to go off script, like that seemed like a good idea. if you, they're launching this week. We have, I think, 18 different community groups on just about every single day of the week, including Saturday. I know a couple of you asked me about it. Is there going to be a Saturday group? There is, in fact, a Saturday group. So those are launching this week. Um, uh, if you want to find out more information, you can email joshthetabledc.org and say, hey, can you connect me with a fun group of people? Or you can go online to thetablechurch.org forward last groups. You can search by Metro line and a bunch of different things and find um, a way to get connected up. Um, With that, let's say a prayer, and then we will dive in. God, I thank you for this space today. I thank you for people who gather together just to sing praises to your name. I thank you for the sweet spirit that is in this place, and I pray that you would be with me as I I open your word, and I pray that it would not be my words that are spoken, but it would be your words. And that somewhere in the midst of all the things that will be said today, that your word will speak to someone in a unique way, in a way that transforms the course of their life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We are going to read one of my all-time favorite Bible stories, at least as a child. Um, We are in the middle of a series called The Year of Biblical Literacy, um, and we spent the first, I don't know, two-thirds of the year looking at the Hebrew Scriptures at the Old Testament, and now we are transforming or transitioning, and we're beginning to look at the New Testament, and we're in this mini-series called The Character of Jesus, and we began by looking at what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, or the word I would prefer to use is what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? So we looked at that, and then we talked about um, Jesus who heals, and we invited... um, a number of you that were, look, that were seeking healing to come forward, and we had over 25 people between our two locations come forward and say, I just need a touch of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about the Jesus who reveals, the Jesus who sh- reveals who God is, but also the Jesus who shines light on both our spiritual pride and our own spiritual blindness. And today we're going to look at a story from Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, at least the section that we're hanging out in, the the, the framework—if there was a verse that provided kind of a framework for understanding this this section—it would be this: Luke 19:10, "For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost." Now, it's, the word "lost" is kind of funny. Um, it's an old school church word, or it became an old school church word, and. People say things like, have you found Jesus? And we talk about those who weren't followers of Jesus as being lost, Um, which is, it's interesting language when you think about it. But being lost simply means this, that you are far from God. The whole, the whole point of the gospel is that, that heaven comes to earth, that God's future reign, the reign that is happening when all things are brought back together, God's future reign has, has entered into the presence, that God has come near. And to be lost simply means that you are far from God. And that's what the gospel is about, that God has come near and invites us to come near. And so in, in Luke's gospel, we get these, these stories about being lost. We, we get the story of the lost sheep, right? It says there are 100 sheep and one is lost, and the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes searching for the one because he cares deeply for that one person who is lost. And then the the next story that we discover is the 10 coins. There's a woman who had 10 coins, and when she loses one coin, she still has nine, but when she loses one coin, she turns the house upside down, and when she finds the coin, she throws a party. And then there's the story of the lost son, or maybe better known as the prodigal son, right? This, 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 young, this boy who decides that he does not want to be in his father's house any longer, and so he goes out and tastes all the goodness there is in the world until he is completely depleted and completely washed up, and sheepishly he goes home, but what he finds is not a father who scolds him, but what he finds is a father who sees him afar, and when he's catches a glimpse of his son he begins to run to him with open arms if you were a person this morning who feels that you were far from God who feels that I see all these other good church folks sitting around me and they look like they have their life put together the gospel might mean something to them but for, for me I feel I am too far Luke's gospel is your gospel because it says there is no one that is outside the bounds of God's grace And that there's no one that is too far. And in fact, when you come home, it is not to be scolded. A few of you grew up in families where when you came home, it was a scolding, right? How dare you? Boy, you really screwed this up. Why did you think that was a good idea? That's not what we find in the gospel. Instead, it is a celebration. Who gets upset in the story of the the prodigal son? It is the the good church person who gets upset. They're like, whoa, what's going on? I have been here singing all the songs, going to church every Sunday, and here you are celebrating over the one who has been gone. And for many of us, we, and and for the followers of Jesus, the early followers of Jesus, they love the idea that Jesus welcomes them in, that Jesus welcomes the lost in. But the problem is, the problem is, and the story we're going to explore today really begins to needle us on this just a bit, is that we actually don't want everyone welcomed in. What many of us love about Jesus is that he takes on the self-righteous, the self-righteous religious leaders because many of us have been shamed by self-righteous religious leaders. And we love the Jesus who reaches out to the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. We love a Jesus that cares for the sick and the hurting. And, and even though many of us find it hard to follow that path, we love the idea that Jesus cares for those people. We love a Jesus who hangs out with the powerless. And I'm guessing that the crowds that followed Jesus loved some of the same things about him. They loved him because he loved and cared for people just like them. Jesus was the hero of the Jewish underclass. They loved him because he actually paid them mind and gave them dignity and worth. And so the crowds that follow Jesus begin to grow larger and larger and larger because he is seen as being the hero, the one who can bring salvation, the one who may be able to free them from oppression, both religious and political oppression. But the story we're going to read today would have shocked Jesus' followers because the Jewish hero begins to make the faithful uncomfortable. Jesus constantly... Destabilizes and upends our ideas about the world, particularly our cultural ideas. Right? All of us view the gospel through a cultural lens. And if we take Jesus seriously and if we approach the Bible honestly, Jesus will make us uncomfortable. If Jesus doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. I'm serious. Every single one of you. Right? I, often, I often get nervous whenever I become too comfortable. And Jesus begins to support and like everyone that I like and I support. Can I get an amen? Amen. If Jesus doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. So today I want to read you about a quirky guy by the name of Zacchaeus. He even has his own song. Maybe I will sing it. Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Zacchaeus was was an incredibly well-off person um, who was despised, but also very important and powerful. Now, to be a tax collector at this time meant that you were a traitor because you worked for the Roman government. So it kind of worked this way. Rome wanted to collect their taxes, but they needed local individuals to help collect taxes, and so they would hire tax collectors, and Zacchaeus was the chief of these tax collectors. Now, the problem was Rome just wanted their cut. Let's say Rome wants 20% of everything that the, of the GDP of, of Jericho, this town where, where Zacchaeus is. That's all Rome wants, they want 20%. Now, if you want to take 30% or 40%, Rome really doesn't care. And you have the power of the Roman government behind you, and so people are forced to give you whatever it is that the tax collector asks for. And so tax collectors like Zacchaeus would inflate the taxes owed using the power of Rome. The best modern-day example I can think of is the Disney cartoon of Robin Hood, think, Sheriff of Nottingham. And there's this moment um, where there's a blind beggar, and, he, and the, the sheriff goes to the blind beggar, and he says, you owe taxes. A- and the beggar's like, I'm begging. And, and he's like, that's okay. And he reaches in, and he takes money out of the cup. That's Zacchaeus. He's robbing his own people to line his pockets. And there is no doubt that Zacchaeus is probably one of the most hated people in the city of Jericho, because not only is he like a tax collector, he's not simply the bureaucrat who gets stuck with collecting taxes. He is the chief tax collector. He is the one who is institutionalizing extortion and exploitation. There has to be something about being the chief tax collector that hardens your heart in a very unique way. You can't be hated forever without building some really hardened edges. Zacchaeus has to have a hardened heart. But that's what makes this story so interesting. Verse 3, there was a curiosity that Zacchaeus had about this Jesus guy. He wanted to see, we read in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. This story is meant to have a a little the comedic edge it's meant to be humorous right the fact that this person who stands tall in society right he is powerful in society and this crowd with jesus is short in fact, the image we're given is that Zacchaeus, who can't see over the crowd, is like trying to navigate his way through the crowd. He's trying to squeeze through, but you can imagine when you see that Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, is coming, and there's a mass of people, it is your one time to kind of get back at him, and so they're all locking arms. And I can imagine Zacchaeus like getting down low and trying to crawl through people's legs. It's a hilarious sight, him trying to make his way to Jesus. But the crowds are like, there is no way we are letting this guy near Jesus. But what I find interesting is that, and I was trying to think who our modern day Zacchaeus is. Who is the person, who is the person that we write off, that we say is outside the bounds of the gospel? And it's not only that we say they're outside, but we just kind of assume that there's not even a spiritual hunger or a spiritual curiosity. We assume that their heart is so hardened that they are beyond the reaches of grace. It could be a coworker, it could be a government official, it could be a million people, right? But there, there is most likely there's someone in your life, if you sat down and thought about it long enough, you thought, they are so hardened, or whatever it might be, that they have no spiritual curiosity or spiritual interest. But the story of Zacchaeus is really interesting because here is this guy that everyone would have written off, but yet there is a hunger, there is a curiosity inside him. And I believe that everyone who is far from God, even the most hardened person, has a moment, has momentary glimpses of their lostness, momentary glimpses of their need for something else, for something more. Right? It could be through life circumstances where they wake up and realize that they have become someone they do not want, they did not want to become. And, and, and lost being lost does not simply have to be a spiritual category because there are people who are lost and who realize their lostness who wouldn't even understand it's spiritual. They just know they have become someone or they never wanted to become. One day people wake up and realize how long it's been since they worked for the change they wanted to see in their own lives. When you see someone who's a rather despicable person, right? whether it be a coworker or whoever it might be, think of whoever you don't like. When you th- see that person, you often don't think about the fact that chances are that's not who they wanted to be either. They didn't plan on becoming that person. And there's the moments of spiritual curiosity where they realize that that their entire life has become about consumption, whether it be the consumption of people or stuff or food. And there's a moment where there's an openness to, is there something more? This is Zacchaeus. This is his moment. He's heard about this Jesus guy and he has accumulated everything there is to physically accumulate, but yet he knows there must be something more. And so when he hears that there's this guy named Jesus who is giving people new life, he knows he has to just catch a glimpse of him. He's not ready to commit. He just wants to see this guy. And so he ran ahead, we read in verse four, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now imagine this. The most prominent, one of the most prominent leaders in the community is scurrying up a tree. This is meant to be funny, right? People of his stature, people uh, maybe I should choose it, of his status. People of his status don't climb trees. He is wealthy, he is powerful, People fear him. They don't like him, but they fear him. And here he is scurrying up a tree. This is meant to have a little feel of comedy. Right? We even have a song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, that's it. Um, <laughs> story story's meant to be ironic. Zacchaeus, who stands tall, Zacchaeus, who is feared by everyone, is not tall enough to see Jesus, but Zacchaeus is determined, and so he's willing to lower, he's willing to humiliate himself to climb up in a tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus is so curious about what Jesus offers. He has such a spiritual curiosity. There is something inside of him that says, I have to see Jesus. So he climbs the tree And what we see is that when Jesus sees him, we read in verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, Zacchaeus just wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus. That's all he wanted. But when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. I couldn't help but remember the story of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who wants to just sneak to Jesus and just grab the hem of his garment. And what does he do? He stops and he acknowledges her. Zacchaeus is sitting in this tree. He just wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus knows that he is the one. Right? The 99 is the crowd that is there, but Jesus stops, and he focuses in on the one. And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I imagine the scene. Everyone is looking up at him. The crowd is snickering, and Jesus invites himself over for dinner. verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And then all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He is gone to be the guest of the sinner. Now here's what's fascinating. Here's what's fascinating. This is the same thing that the religious leaders mutter mutter when Jesus is hanging out with the, with the marginalized and the poor and the people on the edges of society. Now it is the crowds who were like, Yes, Jesus, I'm so glad you're hanging out with those people. Now those very same crowds are beginning to mutter, Whoa, 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 what are you doing? You're hanging out, you're becoming the guests of sinners. Here's a clue for reading the Gospels. Anytime you read that people begin to mutter, there's something going on under the surface. Now the chances are that when Jesus is inviting himself over to this guy's house, he's going to hang out there for a while. He's going for more than just a meal. And as soon as Jesus asked to stay at his home, as soon as Jesus asked to stay at Zacchaeus' home, as soon as he gives him dignity and respect and looks at Zacchaeus, the, the anger that the crowd felt for Zacchaeus begins to shift to Jesus. And they begin to mutter about Jesus. What the heck, Jesus? Do you not know who this is? And they begin to turn on Jesus. They are mad at Jesus for eating and going to hang out with such a person. And when we read this story, we're normally not offended by it. Zacchaeus has never overtaxed us. We're like, oh, Jesus goes to eat with sinners. That's awesome. But when you actually look at it from the crowd's point of view, it's scandalous Often when we read the text, we take the side of the marginalized, but we forget that Jesus shares, every time Jesus shares a meal, it's scandalous. Jesus makes everyone uncomfortable. And the crowd hates Zacchaeus and everything he stands for. Imagine this, I was trying to imagine what a modern day equivalency would be, so I'm thinking of like a protest march. And the leader of the protest march stops mid-March and sees an opposition leader, and he stops mid-March, and he's like, hey, let's go have a meal today. Now, when I first thought about that, I thought, you know what, that sounds really nice. We just need more love and peace in the world. But in the moment when everyone is fired up, you're like, what the crap? Why are you hanging out with the enemy In the midst of all this muttering, we see one of the most powerful gospel principles in action. Over and over and over, what we see is it's not defilement that's contagious. It's not sin that's contagious, but it's holiness that's contagious. That when people come into come into contact with Jesus, when they share a meal with Jesus, if they are open to his calling, they are transformed. And we read in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here." and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Interesting, if you were caught, which rarely happened, but if you were caught extorting someone, the penalty was you had to pay them back double what you'd extorted. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to go one further. I'm going to double what I'd be required by law to pay back. If I've extorted anyone, I will double what I will pay back to them. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. And then we read the verse again. For the son a man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus shows the powerful and the exploiter mercy in the same way he shows mercy to the powerless and those who are exploited. Jesus shows this tax collector mercy and through his relationship with Jesus, through sharing a meal with Jesus, he is transformed. And what we're told about the Messiah in the book of Isaiah is that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will take the scorn heaped upon us and take it upon himself, Isaiah 53. And what happens in this moment is Jesus actually takes the scorn that is heaped on on Zacchaeus. The crowd is muttering, the crowd is upset at Zacchaeus for hanging out with the wrong people, but Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, all of the lost, everyone, There is no boundary. There is no one that is beyond the grace of God. Jesus plays with our categories. Jesus shows grace to the exploited and the exploiter. Jesus shows grace to the weak and the powerful. He he says, look, this man is lost, and I don't care what he's done or who he's done it to. I want him to be found. I want Zacchaeus to find salvation. And Zacchaeus responds by saying, Lord, I want to follow you. He says, Lord, here I am. Take half of what I have, and if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay it back. Four times. The encounter changes everything for Zacchaeus. What I, what I find interesting is that Zac, Zacchaeus invites Jesus all the way into his house. He allows Jesus to make transformations in the deepest part of his being. My guess is that if you become a tax collector, the thing that drives you more than anything else is your desire for money. Zacchaeus must have had such a strong desire for money or for power or whatever. His ambition drove him to exploit his own people. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't just share a meal with Zacchaeus, but But Zacchaeus invites him into the deepest parts of his being and it transforms his relationship with the thing that was most important to him. And Jesus says, despite your sin and despite your past, I want to be with you. But I imagine that the story could have gone a different way. I imagine that Jesus could have invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house, and they had this great meal, and they shared some hummus, and they shared a pita, and it was a great time. And at the end of the meal, um, Zacchaeus was like, dude, thanks for coming over. You are a great conversationalist. Feel free to stop by any time. I would love to talk about your thoughts about the poor and exploitation. That was a really interesting conversation, Jesus. Um, I gotta get to bed. It's getting late. And it's kind of funny to think about, but I think some of you some of us are kind of that way. We come to church on Sunday, and maybe we're even a part of a community group, and we invite Jesus. Like, we love the idea of sharing a meal with Jesus. That is really cool. But Jesus, don't go too deeply in our house. Don't, don't come hang out, right? I don't think Jesus just went for a meal. I think Jesus and Zacchaeus spent some time together. They had some long conversations I don't think this was just an immediate click and then all of a sudden Zacchaeus is like, oh wow, yeah, I totally realize everything I've been doing my entire life is wrong. No, Zacchaeus invited Jesus into the deepest parts of his life. And I think some of us, we love the idea of sharing a meal with Jesus, but, but we don't want to invite Jesus into the deepest parts of our life. And it's different for everyone. For some people, it's power. For some people, it's ambition. For some of you, it's money. Right? It, there's an old-fashioned term that I love. It's called the besetting sin. Right? All of our sins are different. The things that drive us, the thing that is the, in the deepest thing, part of us, that thing that we desire, the thing that drives how we act and how we live in the world, we often wall off from Jesus. We like to play nice. We like to come to church and make everyone think that we are... We got it together, but we want to keep that thing away from Jesus. And I don't know what it is for you, but where is that part where you've not invited Jesus in? So here's two things I want you to walk away with today. For some of you, I want this story to, ask you, ask, I want this story to cause you to ask this question. Who do I see as being outside the bounds of God's grace? Who is it that you just think they are so far gone it's not even worth me reaching out to? Right? Maybe if you're like an environmentalist, it's the guy on your street with an F-350. Right? Like, you're just like... I mean, if he had an F-250, maybe, but I mean, like he has an F-350, or maybe he has a Hummer, and not in D.C. No one's got a Hummer in D.C., but imagine, right, your neighbor has a Hummer and you're an environmentalist, and you're like, he is so far gone. (laughs) What would it look like for you to invite them to a meal to open your table? Who have you written off? And if there's someone that you've written off or a group of people that you've written off, Invite them to a meal. Because we we function as Jesus to other people. Right? As followers of Jesus, when we share a meal with someone, particularly when we share a meal with someone we'd rather not share a meal with, we bring the power of Jesus to that table. There's something transformational about that. That's the first thing. But for some of you, I want to go, I want to get a bit more uncomfortable. Some of you have been playing around with Jesus. You've shared a meal or two, but you haven't want him to, wanted to allow him to do too much in your life. You're willing to come on Sunday, maybe even give a little bit of money, maybe serve every now and then. But you're like, Jesus, do not touch my ambition. Do not touch my money, my power, my possessions, whatever that thing is, right? That career path. Some of you... God called you to do something and you know that you are living completely different from that calling. What is that thing? And where is that space where you need to invite Jesus all the way in? And so some of you this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to write down the name of a person that you need to invite to your table. And for others of you, I want you to go home and I want you to write down the name of that thing that keeps you from inviting God all the way in. And maybe like put it up on your mirror and every morning just begin to to say, God, I give this to you. Give me the grace and the power to fully invite you all the way in. Give me the grace and the power to give this thing over to you fully so that I may be a fully committed follower of yours. Would you pray with me? God, the story of Zacchaeus, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable first because I wonder who is it that I don't want to invite to my table, but it also makes me uncomfortable because it reminds me of the ways that I want to wall things off in my life, the the things where I want to invite you just, just to the dinner table, but I don't want you getting too involved. I pray that as we go through this week, some of us in this moment now and others of us as we're walking home, as we're in the car tomorrow, that you would just, your presence would settle on us and you would begin to reveal the places in our lives either where where we are excluding others or the places in our life where we are not giving ourselves fully to you. And I pray that your spirit would begin to work with us and give us the power that we may become transformed and may look more like you. Jesus' name.